Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day. We're continuing our month of love using Catherine Pondard's book, The Prospering Power of Love. And uh, if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about the idea of uh, some of the simple ways that we can share our love, even with strangers out in, in the world, even with people that maybe you only meet for a minute or two. Nonetheless, we can extend our hand in, uh, in friendship and compassion to them. Uh, today, I think I want to start just by reading um, the very beginning of this second chapter in her book. She says, I recall once having a problem that I thought I had tried in every possible way to solve. Still, it was though I faced a stony wall. I was helpless to do anything more. Truly, there had been a stone wall in this situation, just as I sensed. But that stone wall had not been an outer physical structure that towered over me. The stone wall was actually within me in the form of my own hard thoughts about the situation. So this morning I want to talk about this idea of hard thoughts. So what are your guesses as to her meaning? What are hard thoughts? I mean, I sort of just think of them as things I have. I hadn't really thought that some of them were hard or some of them were soft. What does the idea of a hard thought represent to you all? Okay, yeah, criticism, unyielding, cold, yeah, negative. Okay, certainly, certainly we're talking about things uniformly that are on the negative side. I think what Catherine Ponder is trying to get at, well, actually, I have a pretty good idea that she's trying to get at three things, because I read the chapter really carefully. <laughs> but I, I think the important uh, idea here is... Hard thoughts, those thoughts that would tend to diminish the person or the situation that's going on in our life, when we hold those hard thoughts, there will be ramifications of them. And so she spends a little time in this chapter talking about the ramification of having these hard thoughts. And so let me use an example. Maybe you're, um, maybe you're at work and there's a coworker there that you just don't really care for. You know, nothing in particular, but it's something that you just or someone that just bugs you in some way. What, what's the tendency that we have, right? Don't we start tending to make up little bits of stories about people? Well, she's just not really very friendly, and that's the reason that I'm not feeling the love here. Or we'll, we'll start noticing little things that that person does that maybe reinforces our ideas that, you know, maybe they're not the best coworker, or maybe they're not the best person at getting along with other people. And before long, even people that we don't know very well, there's that kind of a tainted thinking that we might have. And those are the, the hard thoughts that she's talking about, where we hold someone or some situation as though they're not quite right. And often we do it, even without particular evidence, don't we? Don't we tend to kind of judge or kind of uh, summarize people? That's the nice word, I think, for judging people is we've summarized them in our own head. <laughs> well, here today, I'd like to bust apart the idea of this summary a little bit. I'd like to start thinking about people, first of all, as whole and perfect, 
Because I think if we begin from the place of knowing that everyone is made in that image of God, that everyone starts out in that place of, of wholeness and perfectness, I think it's a little easier then for us to overlook or take into account some of the little uh, peculiarities, I guess is another word for, for summaries that, that people might have. Uh, but you know what? Okay, so that's the idea of hard thoughts. Thoughts that are negative, uh, thoughts that might be limiting towards our relationship to another person or a situation. But Catherine Ponder doesn't leave it there. She goes on to say, there's another kind of thought that we have that is even harder. And she goes so far as to say, it's the opposite of love. So, so make note on this one, because I always thought the opposite of love was hate. She says, oh no. Au contraire, <laughs> guess what the opposite of love is? It's criticism. And that was, a, that was an eye-opener for me. That was kind of one of my big ahas this week when I reread this section. And I thought to myself, criticism. And she's really clear on it. She goes on to explain three reasons, three distinct reasons why criticism is the opposite of love. First of all, she says, when we invite people through criticism to do their thing in the world, we're actually inviting them to the level of our criticism. Now this one, I think it's easier to understand if any of you have small children at home or have raised small children, right? Uh, you, at like maybe five or six, you're like all about uh, what a messy room you have. You're just a messy little kid, right? It's like we observe them getting all their toys out and so we're trying to, to, to see if they can uh, uh, give us a little heads up on putting toys back and cleaning rooms and things like that. But guess what we're actually doing? Through our criticism, we are setting the bar for our expectation. And so, again, those of you who have had kids and have tried going down that path, what happens? Do you end up with a room that's cleaned? No. You end up with resentful children and still the messy house. And the reason for that is, some of you are smiling and nodding, the reason for that is subtly what you're doing by labeling them as messy is saying, I expect a mess from you. Because messy children produce messes. You're actually having them rise to, well, or lower, maybe lower, to the occasion of messiness. And, and think about some of the interactions you have with other people that you might view in your way of summarizing them again as uh, maybe lazy or, or someone that's unkind. When we set that bar by making a statement, a criticism, if you will, someone always dresses poorly, someone is always sloppy, someone is never picking up after themselves. When we set those intentions in our mind, why wouldn't the other person comply? Not by changing their behavior, but by meeting our expectation. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> Think about some of the things we've done over our lives to niche people in some negative way and we're tentatively saying, that's what I expect from you. 
and in fact, maybe the world in general. The second thing that she says about criticism is, is that when we criticize, we state what we expect to happen in the future. It's like an affirmation. And what do we know about affirmations when we claim a thing over and over with an acceptance in our heart of this is true, we're simply going to get more of it. So it's not about changing the other person. We're setting ourselves up to be a loving witness for more of the same. We should actually expect more of the same. It's that idea of resisting something that is, what do we get to see more and more evidence of? that which we're resisting. The third one I, uh, of Catherine Ponder's I just love because it really fits into the way we think science of mind works and, and, and our observations of the way science of mind works. And that is, she says, when we criticize someone, we are setting up a mental equivalent for our reality. So let me explain a little bit. Uh, those of you uh, who've been uh, around for a while know that a mental equivalent is kind of a, a picture, if you will, of what you expect out of life. So, for example, if your mental equivalent of the, maybe the workplace, the place you work, is that, well, we get along and we're uh, well, uh, well compensated for our efforts here. Uh, we love working on project together. There's a good deal of teamwork, uh, uh, friendship even. If that is our mental equivalent of work, the science of mind says, well, that's what you shall expect. People will tend to gravitate into those workplaces that have the same mental equivalent as you do, you will begin seeing more and more evidence, if you will, of that kind of a working environment. Well, what Catherine Ponder is saying here is, oh my gosh, get ready, because through criticism, it works the opposite way. We're actually building a mental equivalent of all the things that are diminished and lacking and wrong. Yikes. I want to use an example because uh, most of us perhaps don't think of ourselves necessarily as critics, but it can happen in subtle ways. Uh, so many years ago when I was in college, um, I was in the theater arts department and was uh, really enjoying being a stage manager. I think I managed probably 10 or 12 uh, productions at University of Oregon's main stage there and, and, and really enjoying it, right? I got to know how, you know how to work cues and I had a, a little headset on and could see when the actors were supposed to be on and when they were late. I could understand how the, the different props work and you know out of the corner of my eye, I knew when things were going well or not, and I really had a, a sense not only of whether the play was enjoyable, but, but the backstage part of it, how everything put together, whether the lights were on in the right settings at the right time and things like that. It was a wonderful experience, and it ruined me for live theater, <laughs> right? I still remember, uh, shortly after college, I, I moved up to town here and I had the, the great honor of, uh, of, of at the Keller Auditorium seeing Mary Martin in a play. And, and I know some of you are too young to know who Mary Martin is, and that's, that's okay. Uh, but let's just say she's a famous Broadway star, and I was really jazzed about it. And so I get there, and I did not have a good experience. Mary Martin was late for almost all of her cues. <laughs> 
and I noticed that especially the follow spot guy just needed to be fired. I mean, you have a star, she should be in the light for gosh sakes, right? She'd be wandering in the pool of light, would be like, you know, dragging behind her. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of grummy people do they have backstage here? And, and I went home and my people say, were, uh, my friends were saying, how was Mary Martin? Was it as good as the critics say? And I'm like, uh, uh, oh, maybe it was actually good. Do you see how criticisms actually work against us? When we become good, if you will, at criticizing people or places or situation, we can find fault in anything. And I want to ask you, when we're in a fault-finding mood, and whether it's finding faults in your, your spouses or your friends or your workers or your coworkers or your neighbors or in your own home, when you get really good at finding faults, what's your experience of like, life like? Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't seem that good anymore, right? And back to my, my encounter with Mary Martin, do you think she suffered because of those light cues and things like that? Who suffered that night? I was probably the only person in the audience that didn't think it was the most fabulous experience, right? Who actually suffers from our criticism? Oh my gosh. So Catherine Pondered, I think, has a a right thing understanding here. Perhaps criticism is the opposite of love. So how can we move forward in this? I mean, none of us, I think, on purpose would want that level of criticism in our lives. I don't think any of us get up in the morning and think to ourselves, uh, you know, I'm really going to find fault with every darn thing today. We'll just see how that goes. <laughs> but I do think that if we're not aware of it, sometimes we can head that way. Have you ever been in a group actually where criticism is, a, is an expected thing? Yeah. Now here's the danger. You might think, well, all I have to do is just stop complaining about things. All I have to do is stop the criticism. You know, I was at an informal gathering the other night and I began noticing we had spent an hour criticizing United States politics. <laughs> And I thought, holy heck, what kind of a mental equivalent of our next president are we creating here? If all we're going to do is saying this one's an idiot and that one's bought out by big business and, and this one looks bizarre and this one's too old. I, okay. <laughs> right? Am I not just making a recipe for criticism and for us to build a mental equivalent of the next president not being useful or helpful? So, so I think we have to stand up to some of these things. No longer can we just be in a little group of people running down the world and our friends and our lives because when we do that, we should expect to see more of it we should expect to our life to unfold that way. And we have every reason to think that the miserable one because of it will be me. So let's move forward. You know, Catherine Ponder also has a lovely antidote to this, and she calls it an initiation into love. 
And by the idea of her initiation into love is that we can take on a small but powerful spiritual practice that will guide us not only through the temptation to be critical or overly sensitive and critical in the world, but also to actively use the power of love to transform not only our life, but our experience of other people. And I want to use an example again from my own life. And it's interesting because this one is about 15 years old now. When I was first in practitioner training, I was still working for the telephone company at the time. And, oh my gosh, if you would have asked me at that time what my working conditions were, I would have told you that I had the worst boss on the planet. And in fact, I had a list of all of the things that made him so horrible. Now think about this for a minute. It was so bad <laughs> that I was making lists. And, and I swear if any of you in this room are in HR or anything like HR, I would have very proudly went down the list ticking off everything that was wrong about this guy, right? He criticizes people in public. He talks about people's flaws, to, not to their faces, but to their peers. He rewards people improperly. He does not give credit. I mean, oh, I can, can you tell? The list is still there. <laughs> be alarmed, be very alarmed, because the list apparently is still there. And so, much to my chagrin, and actually a little bit of shame associated with this when I tell the story, I was actually in the position of thinking of ways to get even. I was going down the path of thinking, well, I wonder how he would like it if he was criticized in public. Yeah, yeah. Time for some help, Larry. And do you actually also catch on to the fact that I was doing the very thing that I hated about him. I was actively seeking out criticisms of this man, largely because he was criticizing me, right? Oh my gosh. Well, the lovely thing was we were in practitioner studies. And in fact, this little uh, process, if you will, is even in our foundations class now. So if you haven't, haven't had foundations, I'd recommend it just from this one tool alone. It's called fear to faith. And as part of it, we do a raising and praising prayer. And it's the simplest thing on the planet. And I decided that for my initiation into love, I would simply do the praising and raising prayer. I would not, uh, shall we say, meddle uh, with what was going on in the physical world. I would not uh, perform my scheme of getting even or any of that. Instead, once in the morning and once in the evening, and anytime I had a negative interaction with this gentleman, I would simply in my mind say, I raise you and I praise you in the name of love. And in the class, we learned even a, a little bit of an NLP therapy thing that would go with it. We would say, I raise you, I praise you in the name of love, uh, which is one of the, the techniques in NLP that you actually use for releasing old ways of thinking and being open to accept new ways. of. I was actually programming myself, in a sense, to be able to see this man through the eyes of love. 
I did nothing else. For about two weeks, I'm doing this, and I did not really notice any particular difference. Things seem maybe a little quieter, but I would not have said anything was particularly different. And then about three weeks into this, we had a meeting, and he told us what a good job we were doing. And I got to tell you, this was perhaps the first time we had ever received any compliments from this man. I mean, we had a, a team of 20 computer programmers working on kind of a, a complex set of programs for the telephone company. And uh, although, you know, we were doing okay, I would say, uh, up until this time, it had been a litany of criticism. And suddenly, on that day, in an office meeting, he said, I don't think I've told you what a fabulous job you're doing. We're under budget, and it looks like we're right on time. The power of love cannot be underestimated. When we finished the project, he had a catered thank you party for us. I don't know how to describe it other than a a fully catered, lovely party during work hours. And then he let us go home early. The party was like from 10 to noon, and we got to go home. I cannot attribute this to anything that I did other than I praised him and I raised him in the name of love. It made all the difference. It made all the difference. Now, in Catherine Ponder's book, She does something a little different, and I want to share it with you, just in case you'd rather do it, especially those of you that have the book. You won't find the the braising and praising prayer in it. But you know, she does the same thing. Her initiation into love uses this phrase, I behold you with the eyes of love, and I glory in your perfection. Do you see? It's doing exactly the same thing. Isn't it beautiful? I behold you with the eyes of love, and I glory in your perfection. The idea is to affirm that love will make a difference here. The idea is to affirm that you wish this situation or this person all of the love in the universe, knowing that love is transformative. And then what do we do? We just give it up to the universe. The doing is is for the universe to take care of because, now think about this again in terms of science of mind. We have built a new mental equivalent, haven't we? If I'm sending this loving praise to someone, right? We love people that are wonderful. We we love people that are helpful. We, We love people. I'm building a new mental image, whether it's conscious or unconscious, of what a loving and wonderful person would be, what a a marvelous and loving boss would be. It's like I've adjusted my mental equivalent and the universe will do whatever is necessary to bring that truth to fruition. Well, of course you know what your homework is (laughs) this week. And I would say that sometimes the initiation into love is better when there's something not like love that you're right up against. So if you want to save this one, like if your life is just swimmingly wonderful right now, maybe you don't even need to do this initiation into love and you can save it. But next time, or maybe presently, that you are faced with a a tough person or a tough situation... I would suggest the initiation. 
I raise you, I praise you in the name of love. I raise you and I praise you. I raise this situation. I praise this situation in the name of love. So give it a try. Let's compare some notes. I've done this with quite a few uh, what I thought of as insurmountable situations over the year. And I got to say, once you've been initiated in it, and this is Catherine's idea, once you've been initiated that this works and you've seen it for yourselves, oh my gosh, it's kind of fun. <laughs> so, so that's your homework for this week or, or sometime soon. Where I want to close, you know, usually we, we finish with a reading from the book. I want to do something a little different. I'm going to read our vision, mission, and purpose statements. And I think you'll see why it's appropriate. So the Portland Center for Spiritual Living, our vision is a world that works for everyone. Our mission is to provide spiritual tools and practices and in an environment for transformation. And finally, our purpose, our purpose is to open hearts. Our purpose is to open hearts and awaken humanity to its spiritual magnificence. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one goodness of life, one sweetness of being. I call it love today. On this sweet Valentine's Day, I recognize the biggest container of all things is love. And I know that means me. I know that I soften any hard thoughts that I have. I open myself up to begin seeing life through the eyes of love. And as it is true for me, uh, it is true, and I, and I hold it as a reality for each person in this room. Each person here can have that initiation into love, that true and visceral experience of seeing love turn things around, of seeing love as the most powerful, most useful, most wonderful power in the universe. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful, of course, to be here in the power and the presence of love every Sunday and, and, and every day, in fact, because God is love. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law. I know that it is. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.